This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art. Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Well, I have the wonderful opportunity to speak with Mark Rylance right now, who is in town with his wife, who is creating and directing Idaspe for Quantum Theater. Claire Van Campen and Chatham Baroque from the opera by Ricardo Broski, whose brother was Farinelli. All of these little twisting uh, pieces coming together by, at the Bayam Theater on October 7th. Mark Rylance, thank you so much for stopping by this afternoon. Oh, hi, Anna. It's a delight to be here. This it's, is such a historic place, isn't it? It this, is. Uh, this uh, WQED building. I didn't realize. We have a lot of things going on. Fred Rogers started here and the TV station, of course, just about 70 years old. The radio station will be 50 years old in January. How wonderful. He came to a matinee of Hamlet when I was playing it in 1991 over in Allegheny City. Did he yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I remember meeting him. down There was a we were there, we were all underneath the stage after the matinee, which had been mostly full of kids, and and there he was, Mr. Rogers. Oh my goodness! You know, really moved by the play, and mm-hmm. such an incredible person. Absolutely, as are you, sir. Thank you so much indeed for coming and stopping by and telling us a little bit about Idaspe, how it has been a part of Claire's life for the last. A uh, year, maybe even longer than that. It, Gosh, uh, she's years. been yeah, she's mm-hmm. been lying. She likes to lie in bed in the morning and work on things, write things. She's a great writer, and she's been working on it for a couple of years. Um, she's a, she's a rare opera director, and that she knows the music as well as anyone in the the room because she was a concert pianist and then became a composer and and ran the the, the music at the Globe for the ten years I was there at Shakespeare's Globe and for another ten years afterwards. So um, she has a nice mixture of drama and and intricate uh, musical knowledge. Well, this is such an interesting setting for the story, which follows two children from the post-war Middle East who came to Naples as refugees. They're separated in an underworld where organized crime is more welcoming than legitimate business and grown to childhood, the siblings become powerful bosses of two opposing clans. Yeah. So already the story is amazing. It's got a Shakespearean harmonic to it, hasn't it, twins, the, the, the interest in twins? And I th- I always feel like Baroque music, too, ha- has a Shakespeare flavor to it uh, with the intricacies of it and yet also the ability to almost go into jazz, the way the singers can play with and manipulate the notes a bit. That's right. That's right. There's a lovely balance between the um, early music instruments and the human voice that Claire became very expert at uh, at Shakespeare's Globe, where we had no amplification of ourselves acting, and and we had always a, a six-person uh, band replacing lights. Really, the, in 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 the uh, in Shakespeare's Globe, the um, the music does what a modern a lighting plot would do for drama in terms of focus and rhythm and movement. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. I, I had no idea. Mm. Um, I know that Claire worked very closely with uh, the members of Chatham Baroque, um, Patricia Halverson and Andrew Fouts and Scott uh, Polly, just creating this, literally putting this piece back together. Yeah, they had a lot more time back in the day, too. They would have five <laughs> hours or so, I think maybe with lots of lovely wine and food in between acts and things like that, but she's cut it down to a lovely <laughs> two hours and a little bit and she's been ever so um, keen also that the recitative moves really quickly so there's a great 
uh, antithesis and opposition between the recitative, you know, when the characters are basically Telling conversing with mm-hmm. each other and when then the, the story requires or justifies the opening up into a beautiful aria. They've been coming round actually to the little loft where we're living on Penn Avenue and practicing because, you know, we're... we're we're always scraping and, and a little company like Quantum, you know, needs to find money. And they've been coming around and singing. And I've been in the other room listening. And this music, I don't know what it is about Baroque music, but it always just brings me to tears. There's a suspension. You probably can describe it better than I can. But there's just something that's very um, pulls at you. It pulls. Yeah, yeah I it pulls think it's, at you. Yeah. And I also think that uh, for this particular production, um, Vivica Jeannot and John Holiday oh. being a part of this. Yeah, to Just hear. to name all of the fabulous cast that is uh, participating. Claire was showing me a... She, I'm not allowed to the rehearsals until the opening night. <laughs> <laughs> I get all the news, but I'm not allowed to hear it other than when they come and sing in the guest room. John nice. Holiday singing in my guest room. You know, what's that worth? But uh, she showed me a YouTube of Vivica. I mean, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. absolutely incredible what these people can do. I, 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 I'm just stunned. I'm just stunned when I hear and see it. And see it. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier before we got on the air about the quality of John Holiday's voice. I think I have a little bit here of oh, yeah, him play singing. That. And uh, let's listen to that from Idaspe. <laughs> Such mm. an amazing quality that mm. he has for his voice and something mm. that is, to me, almost indescribable. I don't think you can call him a countertenor, and I don't think it's just a voice that has its own quality. Mm. Mm. I agree. I agree. And when he was recording this particular piece, um, I know that he won't be able to do this in the performance, but there's just the allowance of the body moving with the voice and creating the sounds that he's creating. Yeah. None of it's amplified, too, which has become a big um, important thing for me in the theater, not to be amplified. I, I feel like amplified performances put the performance in a different space than the audience, and it all gets translated through digital electronics, but 
When you're in the presence of someone singing like that in the in the same room, you, the the sound actually goes in and shakes the cells of your body. You know, you get a kind of vibration that I think is just for me. I feel healthier when I come out afterwards. Absolutely. I I was just talking with someone else about that. The just the physical response to the body, the cells, yeah. the, the feeling that will, and there can be just this wonderful release of uh, what's going on in your body. Yeah, yeah, it goes right through you. The way those old um, 1970s, was it 1970s commercials where the opera singer would break the glass? I forget what <laughs> I they were advertising, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, there yeah. was some commercial I used to watch as a kid. <laughs> the glass would go, and I feel like my heart sometimes gets, not, it doesn't break my heart, but I, I feel shaken by it. What's interesting about this is the fact that John Holiday has come in to participate, and because of his uh, renown on The Voice and some of the things that have happened for him, other people who normally wouldn't come to the opera are interested to come to see this Idaspe presented by Quantum Theatre. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Good. You yeah. know more than I do. I, I mean, I think she's she's gathered, she picked them all, Claire, and, and uh, she's very, very excited by the group that she's got together. An extraordinary, uh, diverse cast, too, from all over. The wonderful Iranian singer singing the main part and People from all over the world uh, come together into this. Well, it is a, a very, very diverse cast. Uh, mm. Of course, Vivica and John, but then Karim Suleiman, who is That's also, the, yeah. yes. And Pascal Baudin uh, from Canada, Zoe Reims, Shannon Deljani, and Ve Anchan as a part of this whole collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I think they've had fun, too, because she's very, um, she, she's quite, you know, she's watched a lot of rehearsals that I've been in, and so she's very keen on, like, what do you need, and are you playing your objective, and, you know, where do I come on? And they'll say, well, she'll say, well, where do you feel like coming on, and what do you want to, where, what do you, who do you need to talk to? And they've, they've acted it out and everything in ways that I think they're not often asked to do. I was going to say, in opera, uh, you enter in the third wing, <laughs> and you go up to stage left, and then you sing your aria, you plant and sing, and then you walk off. <laughs> there are some productions of Shakespeare that are like oh. that as well. <laughs> I'm glad to see it's not just limited to the operatic stage. <laughs> so, um, one of the things about Pittsburgh is uh, you and Claire are actually uh, doing some wonderful work about some of the stories and history that has taken place here. So we'll see more of you in the future, which is kind of nice. Yeah, you will. Yeah. When I was first came, not first, I came here in 91, but then I came again in 2003 and did a production of Twelfth Night, uh, just next to the O'Reilly in the cabaret space, which was being built for the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust. It was a tour. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's my phone. Oh, you're boinging. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'll turn <laughs> it's all right. Off. Um, and I was introduced to the the story of the Homestead Strike and mm -hmm. the Johnstown Flood, and the I was actually looking for a, a subject matter for a Shakespearean drama for the Globe, a modern drama, and and I and I thought I'd, I I thought I'd found it really in the. Uh, the relationship between uh, Frick and Carnegie, and then the more I looked into it, the more dramatic thing is their relationship with the working class. Mm -hmm. um, and that that idea of a republic, you know, where every person is has equal rights, and does that give one person the right to suppress other people? Is that, or, or does it give the right for the 
majority to hold back the individual? What's the relationship between extraordinary individuals and a group, whether that's some Jordan in a basketball team up in Chicago or a group of musicians with a pianist, Glenn Gould, and the and, a, and, or, and an orchestra, mm-hmm. or in industry, the um, the movers and shakers or the original inventors and, and the people who actually make the stuff, the puddlers and the iron makers and the steel workers. What's the proper relationship? And th- there's just so much in the history here uh, that uh, I think it's not widely known. I, I meet a lot of Americans who don't even know about the Johnstown flood. 2,400 people. That's a, that's a, I do remember growing up knowing about the Johnstown flood. But you grew up in this area. But I grew yeah. up in this area, yeah. of course. Yeah, There are yeah. people, many people that don't know about it. And David McCullough, who wrote uh, yeah. his Johnstown flood, just recently passed. Did but, he? Uh, he did, Oh, yes. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to hear that. Yeah, he wrote a great book about Brooklyn Bridge, too, didn't he? He did. He did. A great historical fiction uh, that, uh, well, not fiction, uh, historical books that he wrote. And the McCullough family still other members still hanging on there alive here in town but have always been a big part of the arts and what's going on here it's an amazing history right back to fort Pitt and mm-hmm. braddock and Gayasuta and Aquippa uh, and all, all, all of the uh, indigenous history too as well as the of course the incredible influx of immigrants a million a year during the 1890s 1880s yeah we forget about the fact that Pittsburgh is really a town based uh, on immigrants coming in very much so mm-hmm. very much so mm-hmm. so it uh, yeah, it's, it's an obsession of mine this town I'm, I'm afraid I, I like your obsession and I, I think it means we get to see more of you which is always a good thing um, any thoughts about uh, Claire and what's happening I I know that it's uh, she's just a part of the Royal College of Music. She's a pianist. She's a composer. All of these things, um, and she's a female director, which of course we always. Um, it's nice to see that happening. She's a very very good director. She's very she's very organized. She's an only child, um, so very comfortable. I remember be, I was in a production of Othello she directed at the Globe. Actually, and, and actually a new play I wrote called Nice Fish. Um, and I remember coming in before a dress rehearsal. I'd gone out to the loo or something. I came back and everyone was rushing about in the room getting ready. And there was one person sitting still in a chair, just sitting, waiting. And that was my Claire. And I realized that moment why I am a terrible director and why she's a wonderful director, because she loves making decisions Mm -hmm. and she loves just sitting still and letting people come to her with quite difficult problems. And she'll say yes or no or this way or that way. And uh, she 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 also really understands the organization of time, which is one of the key things of being a director and, and sitting in between what the artists are doing and where the audience will be and making sure that it's communicating to the audience that you're imagining. Well, and that's so important with opera because you do have your singing and uh, the the voice and the words being able to go out into the audience. Uh, With stage direction, with Shakespeare, you've got your words, but here now you have the words on top of the music and making sure they're understood. Yeah, yeah. And really, it's all counterpoint. Yes. The great Shakespeare productions, the great August Wilson plays and productions, the great uh, operas are to do with tuning the counterpoint of the story, you know, when it m- needs to move along and when it actually wants to take a little bit more time and then move along again and mm-hmm. all, all, all of that. Uh, 
above and below and side to side and front and back. All that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she's very good at. I I didn't mention too that um, our great friend Antonia is is um, uh, choreographing, and so this production also has a wonderful marriage of um, ballet, New York City. She she was Balanchine's last ballerina. And um, so it has this marvelous uh, ballet based on, inspired by Balanchine's work, which she did as a young woman. She was also in Fame. People may know her, mm-hmm. Antonio Franceschi from oh, Fame and those course. things. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But she's in town. Um, they work together now. First, the third or fourth time they work, they've worked together, Claire and Antonia. Wonderful. So Wonderful. it has that nice aspect to it as well. It's going to be very pretty to look at. Oh, great, great. <laughs> well, we'll see you there on opening night. You'll see me there the, every night. The, every night, but uh, the first night you'll be able to see it, and uh, I'll be there also. So oh, I'm great. looking forward to it. Mark Rylance, thank you so much for taking time uh, to come and visit with us today. And, uh, of course, you can get tickets at Quantum Theatre. Dot com idaspe and uh, it opens on Friday with performances uh, through the 15th at the Bayam Theater. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. This Voice of the Arts podcast is made possible thanks to the Carnegie Museum of Art.